Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Good morning and welcome listeners to another episode of the Closers Inner Circle Podcast, hosted by your partner in Success Radio. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my co-host, Ben Gay III, we are diving into the world of sales mastery, with the gym from the closers part two. Now these books one and two, excuse me, I'm out of breath are widely known as the sales Bibles doing all this talking just wears me out. So last week we covered become an expert in the closers part two, and that was on page one, one, three today. We are covering breaking the sales myth. Your prospects don't want your product. That's heartbreaking. I know. But in the intricate world of sales, there's a vital truth that often slips through the cracks for so many professionals. Your prospects and your customers aren't simply in search of your product or your service. It's more than a transaction. It's about providing solutions to their problems, answering their questions, fulfilling their needs, and satisfying their wants. And sometimes they don't even know what they want. Join us as we unravel the layers of this revelation And discover why, above all, above all, trust is the linchpin that holds the entire sales process together. And if you have the Closers books in your entrepreneurial library, open up the Closers Part 2 to page 85. They don't want your product. Exclamation point. Good morning, Ben. It's Wednesday, officially my favorite day of the week, because I get to spend it with you. Well, the feeling is mutual. I always look forward to this. And uh, I'm looking forward to spreading a little knowledge that might be helpful to some of our folks. Well, it's interesting that, and it is a a common misconception, sales professionals don't really know often what it is that their client or their prospect is standing in front of them saying to them. I find that puzzling. And we discussed in the last two or three sessions the importance of listening. Uh, prospects will tell you what they want to buy and how they want to pay for it. I always try and make uh, uh, salespeople's job easier by telling them what kind of buyer I am. Uh, for instance, I would buy a Rolls Royce, $450,000 or whatever the starter kit is today, uh, instantly over the phone. If they understand I'm a payment buyer, that means $100 down, $50 a month. And uh, if they're willing to send, sell me a roll, they can set the, they can take the $450,000 car and make it a million-dollar car. As long, as long as it stays $100 down and $50 a month, I'm in. Send me, send me two. <laughs> but so, if, <laughs> What colors? I have to know. Yeah. <laughs> 
the uh, but I always tell the customer the uh, person what type of customer I am. Uh, you know, I'm a in this transaction, I'm a payment buyer. In this transaction, all cash, whatever. Uh, if you can solve my problem, so to make your life easier when you're a customer, if the salesperson isn't bright enough to ask you the right questions and listen to your answer, tell them. It's not a game. You're trying to solve a problem. And if you can solve the problem quicker and for less money, uh, they'll be happy and you'll be happy. But more importantly, most of our listeners are interested in the sales side. And the sales side is you got to find out what kind of customer you're dealing with, a payment customer, a cash, uh, a regular credit situation, whatever, and uh, whether their needs are now immediate or whatever. But the purpose of the chapter when I wrote it was to explain to people, there's an example in there, I mentioned the Thomas Register. Uh, it's probably all on computer now, but the Thomas Register, every purchasing agent I ever had over the years came with his own uh, or her own and or ask if they could buy one as soon as they got there. Thomas Register used to look like the Encyclopedia Britannica in that it was, I think, 15, 20 volumes of reasonably small print. And what it was, was every product in the world in one place, where to get it, phone number, address. In the early, when I first found out about the Thomas Register, there was no email, but, you know, phone number, address, contact information, uh, rough pricing, reputation, everything. The astounding thing about the Thomas Register to me was we could sit in your office and look around. You know, the little plastic thing, let's assume you have on lace-up tennis shoes today. The little plastic things around the tip of your shoelaces, they have a name. I know. They are available. I found that so, <laughs> at some point in what you have got to be kidding. Don't ask me what the name is, but I know they have a name. Yep. Uh, they they have a name. There's a family that's probably sent three generations of kids through colleges based on the profits they've made selling those little things. But the point is, they're in the Thomas Register. So we could wander through your neighborhood or your business or anything and point to any object. It has a name. It's in the Thomas Register, and we can get more of them. My point in saying that is your product whatever it is, unless it's brand new, and then you'll have a short run of exclusivity, if I pronounce that right, uh, your product is available for many people, uh, you know, cars. We live in a little town of Placerville, California. We have, if unless I've missed one, five car dealerships here, and I'm confident if I drove around, totaled up their inventory in the little town of Placerville, there are probably a thousand cars for sale on the lot with a price on them. And uh, if you're working with a bright sales manager or salesperson, uh, they can get any car. There's not a, when I was giving away things like Stutz Bearcats, uh, there was not a Stutz Bearcat, uh, Bearcat distributor that I knew of, dealer and certainly not in Marin County where I was based. So I called the Lincoln dealer, Herc, who comes up frequently in conversation. Herc, I need an orange Stutz Bearcat. Uh, can you do it? He said, well, you know I can do it. Let me find out what they cost and how long and so on. 
week or two later, a bright orange Stutz Bearcat was sitting in front of the office. It was to give to a guy who headed up a motor oil company that we had, and their label, their colors were black and orange. So I wanted him to have a Stutz Bearcat that matched their their coloring. And uh, But the, the point was, it wasn't hard to come by. So when you go out looking for a car, uh, first of all, just about everybody over 16, 17, 18 has one. They're going to have 5, 10, or 15 before they die. Uh, so selling a car isn't a big deal. And you have to understand that they have many, many choices in Placerville. They've got five dealership, we'll work with that figure, I think it's right, five dealership options and a thousand cars probably to pick from. And every other car on any in any dealership in the United States and probably afar, but there's no point in getting ridiculous. Any other car in any dealership, your local guy can get it for you. So a car does not make you unique. Having a car to sell, there's cars everywhere. We're near deep in. If you don't think we have enough cars, try and find a parking place around dinner. I went through that ordeal last night in our little town. I think it took. Uh, two two trips up and down the street before we caught somebody pulling out right then, fortunately right in front of the office, uh, right in front of the uh, restaurant where we were going. But cars are everywhere. So understand the fact you sell cars does not make you unique and the car is not unique. I can get pick, pick, pick out any car. I can get one exactly like it. Same color, year, and rough condition as the one you picked out. But if you're buying a car from me, what you don't get when you go to some other dealership or deal with some other salesperson is you don't get me. You don't get my private cell phone number. You don't get the assurance if something goes wrong with your car, you call me, pick up, you know, take the cell phone out of your pocket and call me and we'll get it handled. In addition to AAA and all the other things that are available, but uh, with, with this product, you get me, and that's what makes me unique, and it's what makes this product unique. The, uh, so Thomas Register, be damned, if I get a hold of you and you're a customer, you'll probably buy from me 86% right. of the time uh, because people buy from people they know, <clears throat> like, trust, and with whom they feel safe and that you have the one thing to add to whatever you're selling that nobody else on earth has, you. Right, and Ben, that's what makes it, it's a huge difference between customer service and customer experience. Huge yep. difference. And so many people don't really understand the difference or even acknowledge that there's a difference. And I think that's a mistake. It certainly is. Uh, and it and it goes down, you know, all the way down to one of the examples in the book is uh, you're in good hands with Allstate. And I say, well, that's that's stupid. You may or may not be in good hands with Allstate. Depends on who you're dealing with at Allstate, the insurance broker, the salesperson that you're working with or whatever. Uh, you're good in good hands with Allstate, assuming you got a hold of the right uh uh, insurance brokerage. I have a friend in the insurance brokerage business who will do anything. His name is Pat Hall. 
He'll do anything for a client. They worship the ground he walks on. And uh, they talk about, you know, you got to get insurance. You get with Pat Hall by all means. And if, if it's something he handles, and if not, he knows somebody who does handle it. So you call Pat Hall is the secret among his clients. Well, he represents, I, I don't know how many, he could represent hundreds of insurance companies. So it's not the insurance company that's important within reason. Uh, the insurance commissioners in all the states tend to keep them in line. Uh, they can't write more than they can pay and uh, so on. But the difference is Pat Hall running interference for you and getting things done. And you have his private cell phone number and so on. So people say, are you with Allstate? I, my answer to that would be, no, I'm with Pat Hall. Ah. Uh, Allstate is interesting. So you and I were talking not too long ago about Hugh Harris saying he had 300 people in his organ in his sales organization in the home improvement business. I said, no, you don't. He said, well, what do you mean? I've, I've got the numbers. I said, what you have is one salesperson standing on the front porch of a prospect's house. That is the beginning and end of your company, that person. And that person will determine your reputation with him or her and their friends. So you, you don't have 300, you have one. And by the same token, in that example, put yourself in the salesperson's shoes standing on the front porch. And uh, the there are many other home improvement companies in the southeastern United States that you could deal with. But the only important thing you need to know is I'm the best. Before this is over, you're going to know, like, and trust me and feel safe with me. And nobody else on the planet has me in the home improvement business. When I was in the cosmetic business, which I've been in and out of, been around for 40 years, one of the big objections when we started uh, Holiday Magic Cosmetics or when we were building it, it started about 12 months before I got there. But uh, they said, but you're up against Avon and this company and this company. And I said, oh, and they were somebody, the figure is stuck in my mind. I don't know if it was true or not, but it sounds about right. There are 1,500 uh, cosmetic companies in the United States alone. How are you going to compete with them? I'm not competing with them at all. I didn't even know there were 1,500 until you said it. It's me and the customer face-to-face. -face. There's one cosmetic company on earth right now, and that's either, it's whoever I'm with, Mary Kay, Holiday Magic, Avon, Revlon, whatever. There's only one. And uh, they can, people have the choice of everybody, but they tend to, if they like, if they know, like, and trust you and feel safe with you, they tend to deal with the person who's standing right in front of them who sells themselves most effectively. There's a trick to being uh, known, like, trusted, and, and felt safe with. We were talking the other day, and I said, Jimmy Rucker trains people to, uh, to love him and trust him. And you said, uh, how does he do that? And I thought about it because it was the end of the call and I didn't have time to answer it. And we said, we talk about it some other time. Rucker, and I don't mean this in a sexual way, but Rucker made love to his prospects. 
just like get, he said, I asked him one time, you know, how do you do that exactly? If you had to explain it, he said, do you ever get a date with some lady that you really wanted to date and didn't know you from Adam? I said, yeah. Were you successful? Yeah. The techniques are the same. Well, so he, he this is say, why I will never speak to another salesperson. I don't want to be seduced. <laughs> You think well, I'm joking? Maybe you haven't been seduced properly. <laughs> that could very well be it. <laughs> but you may well be right. But that's it's an art. Rucker was likable, but he wasn't just likable, and he wasn't just likable the way he came out of his mother's womb. He learned he had a, a little natural skill, and then he learned how to shine it up and polish it, and so on. So. He, all you had to say to somebody was mention his name. You say, well, I work with Jimmy Rucker. Jimmy Rucker. Oh, I love him. It, I mean, it, he had done his job. And when I say in this chapter, you, they don't want your product. They want a solution to the to their problem. And if they believe that the solution goes through you, and is endorsed by you and will be backed up by you, then you're the only person on earth. And I've had to, over the years, teach people how to treat me. You know, I, I want to make you vice president in charge of plumbing at our house and our rentals. Vice president in charge of plumbing. That means if I got a plumbing problem, I don't think about it for five minutes. I go to my phone, get your phone number, call you and tell you where the problem is. That's the relationship I want to have with you. And I'll be your biggest fan, your biggest booster. I'll tell other people. I'll put stuff on Yelp about how wonderful you are. Or I will become your worst nightmare, especially if it's local and small town. An aggressive person could put a company out of business without a whole lot of trouble if they wanted to. I'm not talking to him anymore, but between you and me, that's the truth. They, somebody came up, everybody's always quoting studies that you never can find the study, but the figure that's uh, been bandied about in the sales industry for generations is uh, a, uh, a happy customer will tell five people. An unhappy customer will tell 17 people. And, uh, and now with the internet, an unhappy customer can tell 17,000 people. <laughs> With and very hit, little trouble. And hit Japan at the same time. It's yeah. Not <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't ever try and open up in Sweden. They already know all about you. <laughs> yeah, they do. But, you know, you're talking about, and it, you just, you had my brain buzzing there for a minute. You're talking about, you know, when somebody stands in front of you and they say they're going to do it and then they don't do it. Hurricane Delta was two or three years ago now. I had to have my roof replaced. And we all had to have our roofs replaced, seriously. We had two hurricanes hit literally at my front door back to back. But Delta took the roof with it and part of the fence and a few other things. But, you know, you're you're grabbing whoever you can grab to come look at your roof who's not showing up looking like a gypsy. I mean, you're looking for legitimate people to come look. The sad thing is I had this one guy that came by. It turned out later he lived two streets away from me, but he would never show up for meetings. He would never give me the information I needed. I fired him and his company within about 
two weeks of being just look i know they were busy but i saw him drive past my house it's like yeah Dude. and say you're busy <laughs> and say you're busy so yeah. i busted him and i got a hold of his company and i told them exactly what i thought of their brother-in-law because that's who he was then I found another company by asking around. I did it the smart way. This time I asked people, who have you used before? This new guy showed up and he did, like you said, everything he could do. Everything he could do. If I need another roof, I'm going to find out if he's still working. Because yep. I trusted him. Look, I wanted a black roof. They had supply side issues, as you can imagine, but my house is red. I wanted a dark roof, a black roof. And he said, Denise, I don't know if we can find it, but I'm going to try. And he did. So am I happy with him and his company? Absolutely. Is that other company still in business? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I'm a mean girl. Don't if he retires or something. You still reach out to him because he knows people in the industry. Exactly. And exactly. So if you had to have a roof put on your house, now that you're retired, who would you call? Exactly. And whatever so, name he gives you is probably as good or better than he was. Right. And these are the people like you and like Jimmy Rucker, they stick with you. Like your, your, your car dealer, you remember them years down the road and yep. you're always going to try to find them or find somebody that they can recommend. When I see this kid, <laughs> I call him a kid because he was probably in his early 20s at the time. When I see his truck go by, I just stick my tongue out. <laughs> I blow a raspberry because he's a <laughs> moron. He really is. Bless we had him. a real problem on two of our houses and I said, like we were just talking about, i phoned around because I hadn't done a roof in years. You know, it's one of those things you do every 25 or 30 years. And uh, by chance, I just hadn't had to do it. So I phoned around and I said, here's the deal. I want uh, financing, either the bank you're hooked up with or your own. I'm sure you don't do that, but I want financing on this project. I'm a payment buyer and uh, I want this and that and so on four or five of them, I got where I was screaming at the thought of roofing contractors. I thought, you know, every idiot on the planet must live, must land on a roofing job. Nobody. If you're in Hurricane Alley, they sure do. Yeah. All of a sudden, they're experts. Not one person without prodding, and, and let's say I call five, four of them never did ever came back and said, we have financing or we don't have five. You don't, if you don't have it, fine. I don't really need it. I just wanted to for tax purposes and for rental units and so on. Uh, but one out of the five with prodding finally said that, A, they did financing. It wasn't him. He did it through a bank they were connected with. And that's another thing. If you're in the roofing business or any high ticket business, if your company doesn't offer financing, you need to get hooked up with a bank. When what we were selling Holiday Magic just, uh, cosmetic distributorships, it was twenty five hundred dollars, twenty five thousand in today's money, or or five thousand, fifty thousand today's money. But my ex girlfriend' father was the vice president of the trust company of Georgia. 
and he knew, liked, and trusted me. Our relationship had survived the breakup <laughs> between me and his daughter. And anybody I sent to him, he financed. And he told me one day near the end of his life and his retirement, <clears throat> he said, Ben, every person you ever sent to me, I never lost a penny. They all paid. And I said, well, I sent them and told them you were a good friend and they better not screw you over, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and uh, so on. So when somebody said to me, well, is there any way to finance that? Because I was semi-intelligent and Rucker and I had set up this thing in advance. I said, absolutely. If you need it, the trust company is Georgia. I'll give you the vice president's name. He'll finance it for you. At least he has everybody else I've ever sent there. So we're not talking now about $5,000. We're talking about, you know, whatever that averages out to. We're talking about $100 a month. Surely you can do that. Well, yeah, I'm in. So, but A, I was listening. Two, after a while, you begin to anticipate things and you should know that a percentage of your clients are going to want to finance. In the car business, they want you to finance. Walk in and say, I'm going to pay cash. Your price just went up because the price on the car because they want to sell you the car at a profit and extra add-ons at a profit and the insurance on it, and the gap insurance at a profit and the financing at a profit. So, you know, the big blowhard with a cigar, I'm going to pay cash. What you got? <clears throat> Yours added, depends on the make, but you probably just added Two thousand to twenty thousand dollars to the price. Oh, so maybe uh, thought of that. Now you you can say you want financing and get their net net price, and then just say, "Well, I'll pay cash." <laughs> I would do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, give me your bottom line. That's your the real bottom line. Come on, give me the bottom line. Okay, here's here's a check. Here you go. <laughs> you take checks, right? All's fair in love and war. You were talking one time, of, uh, we were talking one time, and I mentioned a, a thing that car dealerships sometimes do and that I recommend. And the way I explained it to you, you said, but isn't that dishonest? And I got to thinking about it. Well, technically, the way I explained it to you was, and that was a false recall. You know, bring your car in. We want to check this or that. And uh, with a false. And then while they're in there, you discover that the wheel bearings are bad and the tie rods are loose and, the you know, whatever. And your cigarette lighter <laughs> doesn't work if we yeah. even have those in cars anymore. I don't know. Yeah. Or they need, or you need a new car. You know, you, mm. here's, 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 yeah, the, here's what it'll cost to put it back in good shape, which is interesting because that by coincidence is the same thing it's worth. <laughs> so isn't that maybe, a miracle it's miraculous how they know what it's worth yeah well you've been in it long enough you sort of do <laughs> uh, and, and nowadays click click and that's exactly yeah. you know it comes up on the screen there's exactly what it's worth but in the old days the pros knew and a, a, a quick funny sales story Guy goes into a dealership that I knew of in Atlanta, and he wanted to trade in his, I think it was a 55 Chevrolet. I wasn't there, don't know the guy, didn't ever see the car, but I think it was a 55 Chevrolet, one that was in demand, like the 57s have always been, and it was the right color and everything, and he brought it in two or three times, and uh, 
finally and they went out and inspected the car and everything and he left the pink slip with him and then on a rainy night which was part of the scheme he pulled up in the red chevrolet and uh, parked it across right across the street in the rain and said you already have the pink slip and uh, they did but what they didn't know was that wasn't the same car same model different car and the side away from the dealership had been damaged pretty severely so they took their last view of it and thought that's still how it is assumed that since he left the pink slip with him last time it matched that car well he did leave the pink slip with him last time but it was the pink slip to the car that he had not yet brought in then he brings in the damaged car puts the damaged side away from the dealership in the rain and they wrote the check and gave him the keys to the new car or whatever. And I think they told me in the morning while doing a walk around, they discovered that was not <laughs> the car they thought it was. But all the signatures and documents matched it. So except for being, uh, they, they, I said, well, how do you get that back? I mean, you don't know how much time you want to spend suing somebody over a 55 Chevrolet. He said, oh, no, we'll, we'll get them back other ways. You see, he bought a service contract on the new car. So we'll be seeing him on a regular basis. And oh. we get, we'll get back to him every time. But anyway, back to the false recall. Uh, I should have gone on and we went off on some other subject to say there are many ways to do that. False recall may not be the most honest and ethical, but offering a free you know, we're giving everybody a free oil change. Bring your car in. We're offering everybody a free bumper-to-bumper -bumper evaluation of your car to anticipate any problems you have. Something free, 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 which gets the owner the car, its condition, and an opportunity to talk to the owner in the dealership. So I'm, I'm probably the only person on the planet that remembers the exchange, but it's bothered me ever since you said, well, isn't that dishonest? Because the way I explained it, it would be questionably dishonest, but I would have then gone on to the uh, free expense uh, inspections, free this, free, you know, oil doesn't cost much or didn't used to cost much uh, thing to, just to get them in. Because that's the secret in many cases in selling, either get into their office or home or get them in. Right. And, uh, and I mean, understood that. That's I didn't take umbrage at it because I understood okay. where you were going. And I suspect that everybody listening to us did as well, because I haven't heard any feedback about it. So, so sort of worrying about it for the past two or three months was a waste of my time. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Not the first time. Just ask me. Look, I... <laughs> You and I have both said multiple times, anybody who listens to us know that we often don't know what we're saying until we hear it. Yeah. So, yeah, the, yeah the, and uh, I will often call you and say, did I even make sense? And you, you're so kind. Sure you did. God dang it. No, I didn't either. So <laughs> It's the way you said, sure you did. Well, back to the, uh, they don't want your product. They want the solution to their problem. Uh, and if that comes in the form of your product or service, they do want your product or service. But you are the only person on the planet that comes with your product or service. And they buy from people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. 
become that person and sell quality products that are competitively priced to qualified people and you're home free. I mean, it's just, then you're usually not down to objections, you're down to conditions. Uh, well, let's talk about that because that, that those are the where the really critical part of things come. What are the conditions? What am I paying? What am I getting? Where you know where could this possibly go wrong? What are the conditions? Well, the head condition is they don't have the money, right? Uh, Jim Rowan used that. Jim Rowan would say, "Prospect says it costs too much," and Rowan would say. It doesn't cost too much. You don't have the money. Right. <laughs> you can hear the I can't hear you draw. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the money. Uh, so th th that's usually the condition. And that's, you can't smoke them all out, but that's usually because you didn't qualify them properly uh, in the, in the beginning up front or you can start the conversation with an unqualified person, but if you ask the right questions, you can figure out whether they're whether they're going to be qualified in ten minutes or not. Uh, and even then, you don't burn your bridges. I've given the car example. My first car was a 1936 Chevrolet. A neighbor was selling for fifty dollars, and uh, I bought it. <clears throat> that was my first car. Second car was a 1950 or 51 Mercury I bought for $150. People buying, uh, selling me each of those probably thought I was a flake. The next one uh, was a uh, 1972 Volkswagen, brand new, $1,849, I think it was. And uh, uh, he, he, and we talked about this very recently, assumed that was it because I was just a kid and, and uh, lucky he sold me a Volkswagen as inexpensive as it was, not to me, but as inexpensive in the grand scheme of things as it was. He didn't know. I was two years away from my first Cadillac, three and a half years away from buying 48 Lincolns with one phone call to give away as a contest because I'd risen up in the company and was now president of the company. He didn't know that over the next four or five years, I would buy 300 luxury cars. He missed out on all of those. Uh, and uh, the next guy I went to uh, sort of stumbled into it because I moved and the old guy didn't want to, was retiring. So didn't want to continue to service the account. But the next guy also sold me about 300 cars over a span of five years or so. Uh, if you double back to the first Volkswagen salesperson and show him what happened because he it, it would have happened anyway, but what he missed out on because he didn't stay in touch. Today, we call it drip marketing. Back then, it was called common sense. Call me on my birthday. Call me at Christmas. Drop me a, a card in the mail. Know my birthday. Send me a birthday card. Each time with a business card in it, become my car guy. He didn't know to do that. So he missed at least 300 sales, maybe 600, because if he had done a good job, I could have bought them from California back to Atlanta uh, just as easily. It was a phone call down the street to her. It could have been across the country to that guy. And notice when I tell these stories, I, I 
give you Herc's name and so on, all the different salespeople I've dealt with over the year. I don't have a clue what the VW salesperson's name was mm -hmm. because exactly. my father knew the owner of the dealership. I know it was Nilo Volkswagen in Atlanta. Beyond that, I don't have a clue, but that's not my fault. That's the salesperson's fault who missed the sales of 600 luxury cars. There's a lot of ways to miss a sale, and that's by not necessarily pre-qualifying them, but by pre-judging them. And you've talked about the Rolls Royce, yep. and I've shared this a bit. I had a friend; he's deceased now, but he owned a coal, an oil field company here, and you know we're on the we're on the Gulf of Mexico. Oil is everywhere, and he was a rough guy. He really was. But he showed up at my business. I owned a jewelry store and a, had a little antique component to it. And he tosses the keys to this brand new burgundy Rolls Royce. He said, take it for a spin. And I looked at him and I said, I don't have any depth perception. There is no parallel parking in my driving history. Are you nuts? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> he said, take it for a ride. I said, okay. And out I went. And I was so careful. This car was beautiful. What I was so excited about, you know, smelling it and touching it and just the history of the, the vehicle. But then I got back to my business and I looked at him and he looked like he was an oil field hand, like he'd just come off of one of the rigs. And I said, who in the world sold you this car anyway? And he just laughed at me. Fortunately, whoever sold him that car didn't prejudge him because yep. he looked like he just came off of a rig seriously and the end of that story is he treated that car like a pickup truck the last time i saw it it was sitting behind stacks of pipes and it was ruined <laughs> or as we say in the south it was ruined it was awful <laughs> what he did to that car but you know he he said look i paid for it i used it well good for you and he was right it was his he could do what he wanted but who sold him that car it had to have been somebody he knew well, or a good salesperson who was leaving exactly. the door open. See, you talk to lots of people who can't afford your product or service, but they know someone who can. And if you treat them properly with respect, if you're a person of class, quality, and substance, with the ability to tastefully project that unto them, you now have, if nothing else, a bird dog uh, out rounding up business for you and when it's tasteful uh if i if i get a sale that comes to me and i know where it came from uh, i'm not above dropping a check in the mail you know thank you very much i had one friend who would not take a check in the mail so i mailed him cash in an unmarked envelope uh say the diamond merchants mail things all over the country as you in and around the jewelry business you probably know that mm -hmm. uh, because they find it's the safest people aren't robbing mail trucks generally and uh so uh, that's how they move stuff around so i just sent him the cash no return address his address no sign in today's age i wouldn't have even licked it for fear he would have gotten dna off of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and the then, then denied friend. it when he, he he said I got the money I said what money I forget how much it was the $500 you mailed me I said I didn't send you $500 you think I'm nuts he, show me the check he said I want to check it was cash I said oh 
well, maybe you're in the drug business and don't know about it, but I just, so I made it impossible for him to return the money. But I did notice that the referrals who came to me after that from him were more, A, and B, identified themselves oh. as so-and-so sent me. And uh, so he, and oh, and then after a couple of those, I sent him a check and he cashed it. We had a new, uh, a new uh, relationship, but we I had to work my I had to sales infiltrate my way through his objection because he was mildly offended. I had a friend named Gene Hoffman, and I made a bet with him about something, and uh, and I'm pretty good at betting. In that, if I bet you cash on something, I already know the answer. I'm not guessing. I'm not hoping. I don't bet unless I know the answer or it's an inconsequential amount. So anyway, Gene Hoffman won some sort of bet from me, much to my surprise. He said, Ben, I can't wait to get it. I'm going to take your $50 bill. I think it was just $50, but it's 500 today. I'm going to take your $50 bill. I'm going to take it down to the frame shop. I'm going to have it framed and I'm going to have it over my desk for the rest of my career. Ben Gay lost a $50 bet to me. I said, well, that's really clever. I'll even frame it for you. I'll have it framed. What color you want? Black frame, whatever. And I said, super. So I sent him a $50 Monopoly check. money. Check. Oh, that's even worse. Sealed tightly. I'm <laughs> <laughs> glass in a black frame. <laughs> oh, you're a mean man. I like that about you. <laughs> Great admiration <laughs> for that. Why reward the government with an unused $50 bill? It's just as easy to write a check. Did he ever try to cash it? No. <laughs> of course not. That, Went to, that he's is gone funny. now, and I suspect the $50 check has either been thrown out or maybe his family knew the story and they kept it because he got a big kick out of that. He called me as soon as he got it. And he said, you SOB. <laughs> I said, you weren't going to spend it. You were going to frame it. So, right. <laughs> and I paid for the frame. I, I got some skin in the game. And if I ever need it back, you can just send it back to me and I'll cash it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. See, I wouldn't have thought of that solution. That's That just went into my basket of mean stuff to do. Which, <laughs> and I've got a basket, let me tell you. What? We're talking about here, and my brain keeps going back to it. We're talking about how sales professionals, professionals really do need to listen and they do need to judge and prejudge. And, you know, there's so many things that they need to do. But what I'm thinking is that salespeople also really need to maybe at the end of the day sit down and write a list of what did they learn from their clients and prospects today that maybe is new to them or it needs to be revisited or they'd never seen it before. But I'm thinking if we are not paying attention, great detailed attention to what people are telling us, we're probably not going to get too far in our journey. Yep. And a lot of what we're talking about can be uh, uh, taken care of again, back to listening. I tend to sound like I'm repeating myself, but there are only a few little secrets to selling. That's one of them. But uh, I had a dear friend, Johnny Hyde, famous disc jockey. And uh, what he was famous for was giving you meaningful gifts. 
uh, you know, you didn't get a tie that you'd never wear on your birthday. Uh, you got something that you had really wanted and thought about and so on. And his secret was he listened and he wrote it down. He kept a journal. And, they, and he would say, you know, one time the kids, we had a, a swimming pool in the backyard built by the previous owners. And it was called a poly pool. It was in ground. But the lining was a heavy, heavy vinyl something. I don't know what the advantage of that is instead of putting the, the, the regular stuff inside the pool. But it was fine until the kids decided to be fun to ride their bikes off the lawn into the swimming pool. And the poly pool, if you hit it just right with a bike pedal <laughs> or the the uh, kickstand or something, would tear or be punctured. So all of a sudden, we were having to keep water running in the pool just to keep it full. And I was bitching about it one day. I said, you know what? I, I don't know where I would hide the bodies, but this is just really aggravates me what they did. And uh, he laughed and everything. We went away for a few days, a week or something, came back, and there were construction-type people in our front yard sort of cleaning up, putting stuff back in the truck. And I said, excuse me, you know, since we didn't hire anybody, uh, what are you doing? They said, oh, we relined your pool, poly pool. I said, I didn't ask you to. They said, no, John Hyde did. And I don't know what he spent, you know, $2,000 or whatever it was, but uh, he listened. And I would say uh, I lost a Levi jacket one time in Marin County, one of my favorite restaurants. I left it hanging there and it disappeared. And, uh, Johnny said, yeah, when those things are shaped right and you've had it for a while, there's nothing quite like one. He said, was yours lined? I said, yeah, it had, oddly enough, sort of a flannel lining checkerboard style inside. But I said, I'll find it someday. Well, the ne next birthday, Christmas or whatever, there was my jacket in my size with the lining that I had described and so on. I said, Johnny, that's amazing. How did you do that? He said, I listened. And he only listened, he took notes, and he said, Ben, your next five presents are already written down. Oh. Oh, so I love he, that. He kept a log, and, and which also made him a great salesman. I got him out of being a disc jockey and started, he started making some serious money uh, with us in our sales department. <clears throat> but among his great secrets was he listened he find out, found out what you needed or wanted and provided it and made himself look like a hero. Well, your mother told you to listen. Your mother told you to be kind. Maybe she didn't teach you, as mine didn't, a system for recording it. So if I sell you a 1972 Volkswagen before we part ways, I know your name. I know your wife or husband's name, as the case may be. I know your birthday. Uh, I know your likes and dislikes and maybe if your dog's name, if it came up in conversation or the type of dog or what have you. And then we begin, unbeknownst to you, in the early days, we begin what will become a 60-year uh, relationship. 
I and knew. selling uh, gets yeah. easier and easier and easier when you're dealing with people who've known you for 60, 50, right. 40, 30, 20 years. And if you did it right last week. And, you know, you and I have talked about your invisible Rolodex that, you know, you've got millions and millions of dollars worth of secrets in there. I knew a man years ago and I just remembered him. I hadn't thought about him in years, years. Uh, mostly because I don't like him very much, but <laughs> but he used index cards and he did have a Rolodex, one of those long ones, you know, just yep. took half the side of his desk yep. and it was just a bristle with index cards. And every time he would learn something new, he would grab that card, you know, the business card or whatever mm -hmm. was in there and he would annotate that index card and then he'd add more if he needed to he had everything at his fingertips he was kind of dangerous i thought <laughs> he knew too much yeah well armed yeah and it's just, it's the discipline of doing it yeah it's not difficult there's no great in my role of x there's hundreds if not thousands of notes on the back and the front and the date they got the new job if if their card is going over somebody else's card I, I write the note the, the the day the date let's say it's a company i've dealt with for years i still want to know when my contact became my contact so mm -hmm. it's all available to you it's available to even the poorest of salespeople. what's missing is a system for capturing it and writing it down and then setting up a system that enables you to know i, I have a sheet, at least a sheet, but in some cases it's five or six, five or six sheets stapled together in my monthly tickler file, in my in my tickler file, which has a monthly setup. So tomorrow, when it becomes February, I will go to the tickler file, pull out February, and in there I will find, among other things I'm supposed to do in February, I will find the February birthdays. Birthdays, right. Yeah. All on one sheet of paper or five sheets of paper, whatever. And they will go over into my calendar one at a time. And the February sheet goes back in the February slot and won't look at it for another year. But I, I already have in February the birthdays I have to deal with or remember to deal with. So it's, I call it, you and I have talked about this in the lab, I call it programmed warmth. In other words, I, I'm sincere. I'm glad you got your card. I'm glad you think I'm a nice guy. But you only have your card and think I'm a nice guy because I have a system that keeps track of it. And I have the discipline to use the system. And, and that's you said something really important because I'll write things down. I, I irritate myself frequently doing this. I'll write down something I think is very important, but I will sometimes neglect to put it where it belongs. It's uh -huh. just using that giant Rolodex. Yep. I'm not, but you know what I mean. And I use a lot of index cards. And once I start to get a little stack of pink, yellow, green, I'm looking at them, index cards. I'm like, oh, geez, Denise, I have to go file them. Because if I don't, I'm going to look at them at some point and not even recognize what I was trying to say on this card. I have to file them. I have to make sure that they go where I can locate them. And then I have to remember to go locate them. So there is a system, but there's also a memory component there that I think gets away from a lot of us. Yeah. 
You have to have a system and the discipline to use go. it. Right. Um, because I, I sometimes this isn't the system failing. It's just the way life is. But I wake up in the morning, turn over, say my prayers, turn over and get out my uh, the smaller legal pad next to the bed. And then it goes to the office with me, the top sheet. And I frequently, because I wrote it at two o'clock in the morning, uh, in the dark, Gigi's not a big fan of light. Yeah. Wrote it in the dark. I'm now sitting around frequently with Gigi saying, okay, we were talking about what? Because I need to know what these two scribbles <laughs> mean. But eventually, uh, it'll pop up. I just leave the sheet out if, if necessary, turn it over to my subconscious, and then I'll be, you know, spontaneously in the middle of dinner, you know, Bob Talbert's birthday. <laughs> what? That's what I wrote on that pad. Now I know what I was trying to remember. So Do the same to... thing. I was talking with my sister the other day. I'm helping her build something, you know, for it's a political thing. Not we're being nice. It's a political thing. But <laughs> I came up with bingo card and she cracked up and she said, What does it say? I, said, I don't know. I wrote it at 318. I'll have to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all I remember is bingo card. <laughs> so <laughs> it'll come back to me, I hope. But I tasked her with coming up with the silly things that we have to put on there because I can't read my own scribbles. We were playing one of those games that I, I don't even know what the game was, but you you have to get somebody to just say the word out loud you're thinking of. And well, I was don't, don't play that game with me because I don't have a poker face. Yeah. You're well, gonna know what I'm thinking probably. <laughs> so I was playing Jimmy Rucker was in the group, and there's a backstory that I won't bore you with, but there was a dispute over a bamboo patch with a guy named Enzo, E-N-Z-O, Mr. Enzo. And uh, it was a funny little debate. I forget exactly what it was. Maybe we cut some bamboo down for some reason without remembering to ask him uh, or something. But he was quite upset about it, and then it became a joke, and we marched on. 30 years later, we're sitting playing this silly game, and I was supposed to say, get Rucker to say bamboo. And so I looked at him, I said, Enzo. He said, bamboo. And the other people say, well, that's, what does that mean? What is what is Enzo? I said, well, look it up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a un, it was an unhappy gentleman's last name. And the only thing we had between us that he would have been the subject of was the dispute over the bamboo. You cheated. Yeah, well, I don't know. Is that cheating? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like something I should say. Yeah. <laughs> no, I actually think that's pretty funny because there are, you know, even if you're talking with friends or family or prospects, there are going to be those moments. And let's go back to what I just said about write these things down, pay attention. There's going to be that one oddball moment that you probably should be recalling at some point. Yeah, and uh, you have shorthand and secret languages within yeah. every every group. Exactly. And with uh, I could have said hot tar, and he would have said Enzo because I got conned into hot tarring a roof on a restaurant that he owned uh, mm -hmm. in in Atlanta in the summer. It was my first and last 
hot tar experience. But that's the only way. To, but if I'd said hot tar, he would have said Enzo. Mm -hmm. Don't leave us hanging. Oh, I was, I'm sorry. I had muted. <laughs> and I was just chatting up a storm with the mute button on. Um, <laughs> I do that. I'm known for that. It, we really do need to pay attention because the things that made no sense at all at the time, or you just, eh, I don't need to write that down. They're going to pop up at some moment and you're going to be going, who was that guy? What was, and you're going to spend 20 minutes digging through your brain for nothing. Because it's yep. gone. You've yep. already lost it. So what was it that, that Dr. Napoleon Hill used to say to you? Write it down. Write it down. Yep. I said the first time I encountered that with him early in our relationship, he told me something semi-profound, I guess. And uh, I said, that's good. He said, well, write it down. And I said, I'm going to remember that. And he said, no, you're not. Write it down. Where's your pad? I didn't have a legal pad or a small one I use most of the time now. So he said, uh, Buzz Marty. Marty was my secretary. Marty, get Ben a packet of legal pads, legal pads, and make sure he always has them. One in his briefcase, one on his desk. And, and, and Marty said, one beside his bed. And Dr. Hill looked a little, uh, you know, taken aback. He said, I, she said, I also run his personal life. <laughs> he's, he's just a figurehead here <laughs> right. so he needs some every put one in the bathroom while you're at it <laughs> but yeah write it down and take of all the time i spent with dr hill and all the things he taught me there's a few that come up regularly write it down uh take action uh you know Pick your battles. He didn't create that, but he's the first one to share it with me. You know, pick your battles. This this isn't the hill worth dying on. <laughs> you know, let it go. He, he solved my problem with J. Douglas Edwards, who I per, on a personal level, I didn't like him. And I really believe he didn't like me. Uh, he was just unusual and full of himself. And he walked by the office one day and I said, oh, God, Doug's in the office. He said, who? I said, J. Douglas Edwards, he's in the office for some reason. And I could say anything to Dr. Hill. I said, I can't stand it. And I expected a deep philosophical response to that. And he said, don't invite him up to the house. You know, he well, does, he a, does a good job on stage. Right. And that's why you're paying him. Don't invite him up to the house. Problem solved. Next. <laughs> that, that that that's brilliant you know you just keep that d division line dividing line between friendship which he wasn't a friend and business and you nope. can do it completely courteously you don't have to make a big fuss over it nope interesting he, from i'm not sure he'd ever been to the house before but he never was after that day and we just as you said i was courteous to him, courteous to him polite and made sure he got paid and beyond that we didn't have to have a relation and then wrote his book for his family I after he died say, right you've sent me that book yeah and it's a good book i've read it a couple of times mm -hmm. okay we are just about out of time we do this you know every week we run out of time because 
well, for starters, we go off on tangents, or I do. You, <laughs> you, you do. do. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's my show. I can, yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> I can whine about it. But anyway, <laughs> we have a lot of fun, though. So there is that. So before I let you go, what are we going to talk about next week? Well, next week, we're going to talk about Watch Your Mouth. Starting Ooh. on page 137. Okay, that was a mean segue, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't take offense at this, Denise, but Too we're late. gonna be talking about watch your mouth. I need to page... talk to your wife, have her call me. <laughs> yeah, on page 137. 137, got it. Okay. And before I let you go, too, tell people where they can find your books. Listen, if y'all are listening to us and you have not got the closers one and two in your entrepreneurial library what are you waiting for so ben let people know where they can find those books and are you i know it's 2024 and we've got all kinds of new things going on are you still mentoring people do you are, you've got several things going on so yeah sure, sure whenever we have a slide uh, i'm gonna send all of you to a website if you listen before you've heard it before but i suggest you do it uh, it stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash, all one word, Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E-B-O-O-K-S. There, they have the whole Closer series, uh, not the ghostwritten books that I've done, but the ones that have my name on them and, and are labeled for us. Uh, the closers one, two, three, and five, four is in the works. Sales Closing Power, uh, the book I wrote for Doug Edwards' family, et cetera. A few other things that I'm very fond of because they were written by friends and they're excellent stuff. Here's the good news. At that website, stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni Books, you get special pricing, lower than at my own website, and free shipping. So I would suggest you do that. And then they're brought to me and I still sign them and date them as if you bought them from me and they go out the day you order them if they come in before two o'clock. So you'll get them pretty quick. We call it sudden service. And then I do mentoring. If you're interested in that, just shoot me an email. BFG3, that's BFG and the numeral three, at direct. Con D I R E C T C O N dot net and say something in the subhead or the subject line or something that has the word mentoring in it. Now know what you want, and I will send you without cost or obligation the details of the mentoring program, wherein I do for people basically what Dr. Hill did for me. And when we have an opening, we don't currently, but we may in the next week or so people come and go uh when we have an opening you'll be in the order your inquiry came in you'll be considered and we hope you consider us denise yes. you're yes. about to launch something really exciting Tell got, i do and it, we're running out of time so i won't go into too much detail about that but we can talk about it maybe next time it might be launched by then working hard at it but like you, I do a lot of mentoring and consulting with people who want to be either a podcast host or a podcast guest, or better yet, 
both. And let me tell you, 2024 is the year of podcasting. I mean, that's, there's no question in my mind. You need to get your voice heard so I can help you with that. Just call me, uh, 888's toll-free, 888-719-6711. We can have a brief discussion to see if it's something that you want to go ahead and, you know, work with me on. There is a cost to it. It's not horrible, but there is a cost to it. But that free call, you know, we can figure out if there's something I can do right then and there to help you or, you know, send you to someone who can. I'll do what I can to help you get your voice heard. So, Ben, thank you. And thank you for, for asking me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And be sure to find us on your partner in Success Radio. Just look for us, you know, Ben Gay Third and Denise Griffiths or the Closers Inner Circle podcast. The truth is you can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting us. And you can also find us, Ben, mostly on LinkedIn, I think, but we're both on Facebook and LinkedIn, and we want to answer your questions. So if you have any, get in touch with us. We'd be happy to answer and, you know, get those questions out there in the world for you. So anyway, thank you, Ben. I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. As always, an honor and and a pleasure, and I have fun with you. And I'm still talking to your wife. (laughs) I tell her you were mean to me. (laughs) I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.